Well, good morning. Nah, that was all right, I guess. Not a lot of enthusiasm. It's potluck Sunday, people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. You know, I've heard from a number of you about uh, my inaccuracy. Yeah, from last week. I said that it was not going to snow, and I said that it wasn't going to be freezing. Well, it snowed, and it was freezing. I was wrong, okay? I am big enough to admit that. I own that. Seems I've forgotten the old adage that we used to adhere to in sales, and that is under-promise and over-deliver. So, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that this week, coming up, it's going to be freezing cold every day, and it's going to snow. That's under-promising. We'll see if we over-deliver. Well, I want to begin this morning by sharing a story with you. It's a, a, an older story, if you will, but it's a story of a dangerous stretch of coastline which saw many shipwrecks. And along this treacherous shore, there were some dedicated seamen that built a small life-saving station. It was really just a little hut, and they only had one boat. But through their devoted efforts, many lives were saved from the wreckage of ships that had gone down in the waters off the coast. It wasn't long before this little life-saving station gained some notoriety. Some of those who were saved along the way and some people from the area, they wanted to help. So they pitched in. They donated their time and some money to the cause. They bought some new boats. New crews were organized, and the station grew. Some of the crew members became dissatisfied with this tiny hut that they were working out of. They felt something larger and nicer would be better to greet those who had just been saved from drowning. So they replaced that old rundown hut and the old cots with a new building and nice beds. Well, pretty soon the station became a popular place for members to gather and to talk about their work. They continued to remodel and improve until the station was just about perfect. As a matter of fact, it began to look more like a club than it did a life-saving station. Fewer members were interested in going out on these life-saving missions, so they hired professional crews to do the work for them. Now, all of the station's slogans and emblems still bore their life-saving intentions. As a matter of fact, they put their original boat on display in the entryway of the building. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of wet and injured people. They were dirty. They were bruised. Many of them were sick. Some of them were badly injured. Some actually had different color skin. And all of this made quite a mess in this pristine, life-saving station. 
Well, the property committee immediately built a shower station outside of the building so that the shipwreck victims could get cleaned up before they entered the station. At the next meeting, there was a disagreement among the membership. Some wanted to suspend the life-saving activities because they were so unpleasant and so disruptive to the normal social activities of the station. Some, however, insisted they continue and pointed out that this was the purpose for which they had built this station. Unfortunately, they were in the minority, and they were voted down. They were told, if you want to save lives, feel free to go down the coast and start your own life-saving station. And that's exactly what they did. And as the years went by, this new station, well, they experienced the same issues the first one had. They lost their desire for the life-saving work. Oh, there were a few dedicated crew members that insisted on continuing the life-saving mission. But eventually they too left and started their own life-saving station. There's still a number of shipwrecks off of that coast today. But sadly, as you look up and down the coast, you see a lot of life-saving stations that look more like clubs than they do life-saving stations. There's still shipwrecks but unfortunately, most of the people drown. Well, if you haven't guessed it yet, that story describes the church. See, friends, the world is awash with shipwrecks. There are many people that are hurting and drowning out there. And we have the lifeboats. We have the life jackets. We have the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And we never want to lose sight of that reality and our responsibility to share that truth. As Jesus walked the earth, he chose people to be his disciples, to follow after him. They were to continue the work that Jesus began. And as we'll see today, that same calling applies to us as believers in this amazing person, Jesus. Well, this week is week three in our series of messages on the life of Jesus. And I hope and I pray, friends, that by focusing on these significant events in Jesus' life, what we'll see is that there's so much to learn from the way he lived his life as he walked on this earth. Now, if you've been with us, you know that the majority of our scripture references have been taken from the Gospel of Matthew. And I think that it's important to understand the reason that Matthew wrote this book. See, each of the Gospel writers, they approach the truth about Jesus from slightly different perspectives. Matthew wrote to a mainly Jewish audience. Now, his instruction was absolutely applicable to Gentiles as well but he wrote to a Jewish audience. And his purpose was to show them, and his purpose is to show us as well, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Many times 
Matthew says things like, this happened so that the prophecy of like Isaiah would be fulfilled. And as we've seen, and we will continue to see, that the events that are recorded in multiple Gospels, they each have kind of a different perspective and different emphases on the same event. Now, we've looked at Jesus' baptism, as recorded in Matthew chapter 3, and when he looked at his temptation at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, and we've come to understand that those two events are very, very closely related. Not only from a time perspective, but in purpose as well. Remember, Jesus was baptized and he was tempted in order to be identified with us as sinners, the people that he came to save. Today, we are going to look at another event, and this took place really not long after Jesus' baptism and temptation. Today, what we're going to look at is Jesus calling his first disciples. We're going to look at what that meant to them. We're also going to understand how that applies to us as well today. So our scripture is found, I bet you can't guess where, Matthew, right, Matthew. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 4. Now, if you remember, uh, verse 1 through 11 was the temptation of Jesus. What we're going to see is that in verses 18 to 22 of Matthew chapter 4, that's where Jesus calls his first disciples. We also find a parallel story in Luke chapter 5, and we are going to reference that story as well. But what I want to do is I want to roll back a couple of verses to verse 12 so that we understand a little bit more about the context and what's happening. So if we begin at verse 12, Matthew writes this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, the fact that Jesus had just heard about John's arrest, he hadn't witnessed John's arrest, really indicates separation. So John, after he had baptized Jesus, those guys, they went their separate ways. Remember, Jesus wasn't John's disciple, nor was John Jesus' disciple. John came to prepare the way, right? He was the one crying in the wilderness, make way for the Messiah. Jesus was and is that Messiah. And it's interesting that as John's, John the Baptist's ministry was coming to an end, Jesus' ministry was just beginning. And you know, you may be tempted to think that, that Jesus withdrew to Galilee kind of to escape arrest, right? He didn't want to suffer the same fate that John the Baptist had. But see, that doesn't really make sense because Herod Antipas, the one who arrested John the Baptist, he also ruled in Galilee as well. So it wasn't like Jesus was running away. No, as a matter of fact, Matthew says in verse 14 that this happened to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. 
he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He goes on in verse 15 and 16 to quote from Isaiah chapter 9. He says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Again, Matthew's emphasis here was to show Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. This is the fifth such statement that Matthew makes in his gospel. See, the people of that day, they were living in darkness. They were living in the shadow of death. Jesus, Jesus came to shine the light. As John says in chapter 1 of his gospel, Jesus was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is, friends, the true light that gives light to everyone. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And then in verse 17, Matthew tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, question. Where have we heard that before? Yes, I'm certain that we have. John the Baptist, absolutely. We read that just a couple of weeks ago. That is how John the Baptist began his ministry. Repent! His baptism was a baptism of repentance. And Jesus here, he's, he's reaffirming and reinforcing that message, repentance and the kingdom of heaven being near in Jesus' presence. Understanding, of course, and we've said this before, repentance is a turning, right? A turning from sin. It's a new direction, preparing really to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which we are called. Which brings us to Jesus' call to his disciples. In verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, I want us to, to know here that this is not the first time that Jesus had met these men. There's actually a, a scenario in John chapter 1 that describes a previous encounter with these brothers, Andrew and Simon Peter. So these two were at the very least acquainted with Jesus. They had more than likely heard him preach and teach we know for a fact that they'd seen him do miracles. In Luke chapter 4, we see a story of Jesus, and he's, and he's healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So they saw with their own eyes the miracles. They heard the preaching and the teaching. And in the John chapter 1 scenario, Andrew had met Jesus 
And he had gone to get his brother, and he said to his brother, he said, we have found the Messiah. So these guys had some inkling of who Jesus was. We continue reading at verse 20. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. So what we see in these four verses is Jesus calling his first disciples. And we see the disciples respond. Now, if you remember, our goal in this series is to look at the events of Jesus' life and to see how they relate to us today. So what is it that we can learn from this situation? Well, we see that the disciples are called. The disciples are called. And what we must first understand is that we too are called. Jesus is calling us just like he called his disciples. But I want us to look really carefully at who it is that Jesus called. And who he did not call. Because if you notice, Jesus, he didn't call the Pharisees. He didn't call the Sadducees. He didn't call the religious elite. No, he called working men. He called just the average person. He called these fishermen. And what we're going to see later on in the Gospels is that these guys, they really aren't particularly wise. We know they're not well-educated. And we see that they seem to be a little bit slow on the uptake at times. A number of times Jesus spoke very plainly to these guys, but they still didn't really get it, right? They didn't quite understand. But Jesus calls ordinary people. Are we ordinary? I know I am. Jesus calls ordinary people. Could it be that Jesus is calling us? Yes, absolutely. The second thing we notice is that these men were busy. It tells us they were fishing. They were casting their nets. They were engrossed. They were engaged in their vocation. And very often when Jesus comes calling, it's when people are busy, right? Doing something. Busy with vocation, busy with family, busy with life. Now, I know that no one here is busy, right? Yeah. We're all busy. As a matter of fact, we're probably too busy. But Jesus calls ordinary, busy people. And Jesus is calling us today as well. But you know, that begs the question, calling us to what? Well, I believe that there's three things that we can pull out here, three things that we can learn, three things that Jesus is calling us to today. 
The first is this. We are called to follow. We're called to follow. In verse 19, Jesus says, come, follow me. And the invitation really is to become a disciple. That's what the word disciple means. A follower. Or in other words, a learner. Learn from me. Follow me. Later in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Follow me. Become a disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. And really, friends, what this is here, it's, it's, it's another call from Jesus. He's saying, come, come to me. Come, follow after me. All you who are weary, all you who are burdened. Can we relate to that at all? I mean, look around at the world. Look at what's happening in Europe. Look at what's happening everywhere. Look at what's happening in this country. Think about the things that are happening in your own life. It can be troubling. It can be scary. It can be tiring. And friends, make no mistake, the world lays some pretty hefty burdens on us. We're weary. We're burdened. But Jesus says, he says, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Follow after me. And when we answer the call to follow Jesus, we must, we must be willing to be shaped by him. We must be willing to be shaped by his teachings. And if we are truly shaped by Jesus, truly shaped by Jesus, we will become more and more like him. We will display more and more Christ-like characteristics as it says here we'll be gentle we'll be humble beyond that we know that we'll be forgiving we will bear with one another we will love one another we will care for one another that's what it means to follow Jesus we learn from him and we become like him it's a lifelong process. We've talked about this before. The process of sanctification. Amen. And as a reminder, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. That's theology. We're learning. You guys are learning and you don't even know it. The bottom line is, friends, the disciples of Jesus' time were called to follow. We, too, are called to follow Jesus and to be more like him. We're called to follow. We're also called to go. Go. And we see this. Jesus tells his disciples, from now on, you will fish for people. He told Peter, he's telling us today, that our job is to continue the work that Jesus began. And friends, there was never a greater fisher of men 
than Jesus himself. And he passes on that responsibility to us. In this situation, I really prefer the account that we see in Luke chapter 5 because there Jesus says, yes, you will fish for people, but he leads into that by saying, do not be afraid. The Greek translation is more literally, stop being fearful. Jesus is calming any fear that we might have. We need to believe that he will work all things for good. That's what he promises in Romans chapter 8. Besides, with Jesus on our side, what do we have to worry about? Honestly, what do we have to worry about? Psalm 27 says it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Friends, what can man do to me? Make fun of me? Ridicule me? Persecute me? Kill me? So what? So what? The God of creation is on our side. We're called to go. And of course, we see that in Matthew chapter 28 too, right? The Great Commission. Before Jesus ascended back up into heaven, what did he say? He said, go. Make disciples. Share the gospel. Love others. Care for one another. That'd make an awesome mission statement, wouldn't it? Hmm... What a coincidence. We're called to follow. We're called to go. But friends, we are also called to trust. We're called to trust. And we see this from Luke's account in Luke chapter 5. There Luke describes the situation a little differently. Here he talks about Jesus and he's teaching on the shore of Galilee. And the people are, there's so many people there that they're pressing in on Jesus and they're pushing him towards the water. So he gets into Peter's boat and he tells Peter to row out a little bit and he teaches from the boat. And after the lesson is over, he says to Peter, we find it in verse 4 and following, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And, you know, what we really see Peter saying here is, Jesus, we're the fishermen. You're a carpenter. We don't tell you how to drive nails. We got this. We know the best time to fish. Best time to fish is at night. That's why we were out all night fishing. You don't fish in the morning. And you don't fish in the deep water either. We know that the best place to catch fish is in the shallow water. You don't find fish out in the deep water, not like that. And really, there's there's any number of excuses that Peter could have come up with to not do 
what Jesus says. Does that sound at all like us? I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm scared. That'll never work. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, believe in me. Trust in me. Throw that net out into the deep water. I will do things, amazing things, despite your lack of faith. And what happens? They pull in a load of fish that they can't even get in the boat. Their nets are breaking. They have to call the other boat to come and help, and the boat starts sinking. There's so many fish. Friends, can that happen to us? Absolutely. Absolutely. What we want to remember, friends, is that it is not our eloquence when we're sharing the gospel that's going to save people, right? We know that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes to someone's truth about the gospel. Our responsibility is to share that gospel. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. Friends, we're called. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to go and fish for people. And we are called to trust Him. We're called to be that life-saving station on the shore of this dangerous coast we call the world. Friends, people all around us are drowning. People in Lowell, people in northwest Indiana, and we can save them. We have the answer. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, that and that alone can save. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of sharing the truth about Jesus. It is what we are called to do. Is it going to be messy? Is it going to be inconvenient? Maybe scary? Definitely challenging? Absolutely. But we have the God of creation with us. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change lives. Let me just finish with this. I know you guys want to eat, right? Food's waiting. Let me just finish with our response. See, in each case, we can learn from the way the disciples responded to Jesus. What did they do? They dropped everything and they followed after Jesus. Peter and Andrew left their vocations to follow. James and John, they didn't just leave their business, they left their family, right? It says they left their father. See, following Jesus means that you will leave something behind. Maybe it's your old life. Maybe it's your old friends. Maybe it's your family. Possibly even your job. Now, I know that Jesus may not be calling all of us to quit our jobs, but maybe, maybe some are being called into full-time ministry. 
Regardless, friends, the truth is we are called. And if you've never answered the call to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, friend, I pray that you would do that today. Do not hesitate. Give your life to Christ. You will never regret it. And if Jesus is your Savior, I pray that you would answer the call today to follow Him, to go fish for people, and trust in this incredibly amazing person, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that you call us And we thank you, Lord, that we can place our trust in you. Father, we pray that you would give us the boldness that we need to stand up and shine the light in this dark, dark world. To save those people that are drowning, drowning in darkness. May we shine the light of Jesus to everyone around us. That we would see lives changed we would see lives changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus sets us free, we can say in confidence, no turning back. Why would we want to go back to, those, to that old life when that freedom has been given to us? There's going to be trials, but our soul can still sing, no turning back, I've been set free. Let's stand and sing together, Christ is enough.
Called to follow, called to go, called to trust. I invite you to stay for the food. Oh, yeah, I can smell it. I can smell it. And um, I don't care if this is your first time. Stay, hang out, have something to eat. We always have way too much food, so um, enjoy that. There's also uh, a cake in celebration of the new members. Have a piece of cake. There's actually two cakes. There's probably a bunch of other desserts too. So, whew, going into a diabetic coma just thinking about it. <laughs> but enjoy that. I want to send you off with this blessing, and then I am going to pray for the food. Um, but please, 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 even if you're a visitor and you haven't brought anything, stay. Stay. We'd love to chat and get to know you a little bit. Uh, go with this blessing. As the people of Ephesians were prayed for by Paul, I also pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, the power to live as disciples of Christ, following after him, sharing his truth and trusting through his spirit in your inner being. Amen. Um, let's pray a blessing over the food. Father God, we come to you, and once again, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for another day. We thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship. Um, you have blessed us in amazing ways, and one of the ways that you bless us is by providing food. And Lord, we thank you so much for this food 
We thank you for the hands that have prepared it. We ask that your blessing would be upon it, that it would bless our bodies. We pray for your blessing on the fellowship that takes place this afternoon. Father, continue to pour your spirit out here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat.